This morning, I'm excited that uh, we're going to begin a new series called Messy. And Messy reminds us that uh, loving others is not easy. Life is messy. Relationships are messy. Our lives, uh, our individual lives get messy. And so it's, it's tough sometimes to love one another. What we're going to do is uh, look at how many times in Scripture we're told to love one another. We find that, that command not only in the Old Testament, but we find it in the Gospels and in Paul's letters as well. We find it throughout the New Testament as well as the Old Testament law. And so we're going to look over the next four weeks at four of the times that we are told to love one another. And, but we're going to look at each of those times in its own context, so that we can understand that life is messy and sometimes love is not easy. You know, I didn't really, didn't really plan on it this way, but I'm, it fits that this series begins on Mother's Day because Mother's Day is a perfect time to start talking about how we love even when life is messy. A mother's love is a great example of that kind of love that just kind of continues even when loving others isn't easy. So this morning as we celebrate moms and that special kind of love, I want us to begin a conversation about loving one another even though it's messy. Every few years, we see someone who claims to have figured out how much mothers should be paid. I'm sure you've seen that. They add up the expected salaries for all the different jobs that moms do, and they come up with this grand total, you know, that, that reminds us of how much moms do for us and how much we should appreciate them. Well, this year, I came across an old story that I think is probably more accurate in describing a mother's love. In, in this case, they kind of figure the, the, the numbers a little bit differently. One morning when Bradley came to breakfast, he put a little note neatly folded on his mother's plate. His mom opened the note and could hardly believe what it said. When she read the note, she saw the words, Mother owes Bradley for running errands, $3. For taking out the trash, $2. For sweeping the floor, $2. Extras, $1. Total that mother owes Bradley, $8. His mom smiled when she read it, but she didn't say a word. And then when lunchtime rolled around, she put that bill on Bradley's plate along with $8. Bradley's eyes lit up with surprise when he saw that money and he stuffed it into his pocket as fast as he could, already thinking about how he was going to spend that money. But then he saw that there was another piece of paper beside the plate. It too was neatly folded just like the first. When he opened it up, he found it was a bill from his mother, and it read, Bradley owes mother. For being good to him, nothing. For nursing him through the flu, 
nothing. For shirts and shoes and toys, nothing. For his meals and a beautiful room, nothing. Total that Bradley owes mother, nothing. Well, Bradley sat there for a minute looking at his new bill without saying a word. And then after a few minutes, he got up, pulled the $8 out of his pocket, placed them in his mother's hand, and told her thank you. That is, that is a mother's love. That is what love looks like. Love that gives. Love that does. Without expecting reward. Without necessarily receiving something in return. Love is not doing something nice to someone so that we get something back. Love is a voluntary, sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another. When I was at Baylor, I studied psychology. And one of the professors walked into class one day and he said, Good morning, class, Corpus Callosum. I'm going to talk to you, Corpus Callosum, today about a special part of the brain, Corpus Callosum. And this part of the brain, Corpus Callosum, has a very important job, Corpus Callosum. And before you're done with the lecture today, Corpus Callosum, you're going to know the words Corpus Callosum. And he just repeated that over and over and over again. And now all these years, well, let's be honest, all these decades later, I still remember the words corpus callosum. It's that part of the brain that is kind of in between the two hemispheres of the brain, the two sections of the brain. And it, it, it kind of sits there making sure that the two sides talk together the way they're supposed to. I still remember those words because he repeated them over and over Again, and some of you have been in our church long enough that you've heard this definition of love many times. And guess what? You're going to hear it many more times. Because just like my professor taught me that day, repeating corpus callosum over and over again, when we hear something over and over again, we learn it and we, we make it our own. And so I want us to understand that love is the voluntary, sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another. And the reason it's so important that we stress that as we begin this series called Messy. As we begin this series, it's so important that we stress what love is because you almost never hear a true definition of love in the world in which we live. Love is misrepresented. Love is, is spoken when it's not actually experienced. Love is used to get something from someone else. You are not going to be able to see uh, love represented in a real and honest way on TV very often, and you're almost never going to hear what true love is when you listen to love songs on, on the radio or, or, or on the computer. Why? Because the world doesn't fully understand. 
And we're going to find out in just a little bit why the world doesn't fully understand love. Along the way, we need to be reminded that love is a voluntary, sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another. Jesus said the most important commandments were to love. Somebody asked him, you remember that day, somebody asked him, tell us, tell us what's the most important commandment? And he said, well, the, the, the most important commandment is love God with, with every aspect of your being. And the second is like unto it that you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then says that the most important commandments we were ever given were to love. Paul said that if we love, then all the other commandments will be covered. James said that when we learn to love, we have done well. You see, we, we want to look at what it means to love one another. Even when it's messy. Because it's not easy. Is the very reason that we need to take time over the next four weeks to look at what it means to love one another. You know, when you look at a, at a diamond or some other beautiful gem, by the time you and I see it and we're able to enjoy its beauty, it has already been cut and prepared. And, and so when we see it, it already has all these facets. A facet is a, a different side. It's, a, it's wherever there's a flat surface on that gem. And the, the most beautiful ones have those facets that are cut just right at just the right angles, and there are just the right number of them to bring out the beauty of the gem. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the different facets of loving our neighbor. We're going to look at that, that command from different perspectives so that we can see the different facets. And we're going to look at the command in four different contexts throughout Scripture. This morning being the first week of our series, we're going to start with the first time that we receive that command. Look with me in Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 is the first time that we are told by God to love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19 is a, is a chapter that has a very important purpose. The people have already received the Ten Commandments. And then chapter 19 of Leviticus takes those Ten Commandments and applies them in everyday life. So we, we kind of know the rules, but now how do I live within those rules? What do those rules look like in everyday life? Well, chapter 19 just kind of fleshed that out for the people. You take the Ten Commandments and you apply them in these ways. These are examples of what it looks like to live by the Ten Commandments. Well, I'm not going to take time to read the whole chapter to you this morning, but I do want us to begin at verse 11. And we're going to look at a few verses here just so you get a, a sense of, uh, of, of the purpose of the chapter. He begins in verse 11 by saying, You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. 
You shall not lie to one another. Those sound like the Ten Commandments, don't they? He's, he's reminding them of the rules that they've already heard. And then he's going to help them see what to do with that. In verse 12, he says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. They got paid every day. They would do a day's work and get a day's pay. And so he's saying if, if that man has already worked for a day, then the wages that he earned are now his. If you hold on to them overnight, you're actually stealing from someone because as soon as the day was done and he had done his work, those wages belonged to him. And so he's helping them apply the, the godly truths wrapped up in the Ten Commandments, even, even to this degree that, that you don't want to steal, you don't want to rob. So make sure that you pay people what they are due. Make sure that when you agree with someone, that if they'll do certain job, that you'll pay them a certain amount, make sure that you follow through and pay that amount in a timely fashion. He goes on in verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. In other words, because of our respect for God, our fear for him, knowing that he is Yahweh, that's going to affect how we treat those who need our special attention. We need to be careful about how we, uh, how, how we manage life around those, in this case, who are deaf or blind. He says to watch out for those folks, not to make life harder on them. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. When it comes time to settle something in the court, when it comes time to judge our neighbor, to determine whether our neighbor is, is honest and true and whether we can trust that neighbor, we do so not with partiality to the poor or deference to the great but we do so with justice. You know, so much of what happens in our current court systems today is not really based on truth and justice as much as it is based on who can win. And I'm not sure that makes us the strongest justice system that we could be. Here he reminds us, do no injustice in court. Instead, in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. 16, then he, he says, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. He directly says not to run around town talking about people. Today, that even includes Twitter and Facebook. He says, that's not who we are. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. That's not who we're to be, to, to hurt our neighbor by spreading gossip or saying ugly things about them. 
by maybe just twisting the story just a little bit so that it sounds better for us than it does for them. God has directly and specifically told his people to avoid that. And then he gets to verse 17. And I want you to hear this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Now hang on to that, and we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. But remember what he said there. He said not to let hatred settle in our hearts because then we're the ones who are sinning. And then he says, kind of on the flip side, verse 17, he says, don't, don't hate your brother. Don't, don't, uh, don't let that sin settle in. And then kind of on the flip side now, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that is where we see the first time that God's people are told to love your neighbor. Now you see how love your neighbor sums up all of those things that he's been saying in, in the entire chapter, really. He gave them the law and then in 19, he, he kind of fleshes out that law. What does it look like in real life? And then it's summed up for us in this command. The way that you do all those things that we just talked about is you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a reason that he had to make that a direct and clear command to us. He had to do that really for a couple of reasons. One, we are commanded to love one another because real love goes against our human nature. Listen to that again. Real love goes against our human nature. What is real love? Well, love is a voluntary, sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another. And there's the key. Because our nature, our human nature, is very self-oriented. Now, I'm not just saying that it's selfish, because we can outgrow a lot of selfishness. But we are all, by human nature, self-oriented. We, we think of self, and, and we protect self. That's, that's, to some degree, the way we survive. And so I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on any of us. I'm saying we need to recognize that that's our human nature. It is self-oriented. Perhaps you have seen the big picture that we have in the foyer that was taken on our 160th anniversary. We have a tradition in our church that on those big anniversary events, we find a way to take a picture of the whole congregation that day. And so we have that picture in the foyer and, and I remember uh, the first time that I saw that big picture. I know what I did, and I'll bet you that you did something very similar. The first time I saw that big picture, I went looking to see if I could find myself. 
And I'll bet when you first saw that picture, you hunted around and you looked for yourself or maybe your kids. Listen, not a guilt thing, just an example of how we are naturally self-oriented. Because we are naturally self-oriented, we had to be commanded to step out of self. It's natural to pay attention to self, so God said, I want you to learn to pay attention to those outside self. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to love as yourself. You are naturally going to focus on your needs. You're naturally going to be self-oriented. So love your neighbor in that same way so that now you're focused on their needs as well. Now you are other-oriented as well. You see, we needed to be commanded because real love goes against our human nature. The, the second reason that we needed to be commanded to love one another is because Life is confusing and relationships are messy, right? Life is confusing and relationships are messy. Therefore, God had to or chose to remind us, command us to love one another. Life gets confusing, relationships are messy, and because of that, we probably would not choose the way of love, especially when others mistreat us. When it gets really messy and, and there are those who are attacking and mistreating us and, and, and uh, doing those things that, that, that hurt us, it can be very difficult for us to love in times like that. And so he says to us, love your neighbor as yourself. When someone sins against us, what is the right way for us to respond? What is the right way for us to handle that? Well, we read it, although we didn't spend much time on it. We read it just a moment ago in verse 17. Look again at that verse, if you will. He says, you shall not Hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but reason frankly. When he says reason frankly, what he means is sit down and talk. When someone offends you, when someone hurts you, he, he never calls us to ignore it. We are never called to overlook abusive actions or words. But he says, instead of going the natural way that you're going to, that, that your, your heart is going to lead you, instead of going the natural way of harboring resentment and hatred, choose a different way. Have a frank discussion in which you explain to the other person how you've been hurt and what boundaries you're going to set to protect yourself in the future. 
If there's someone who hurts you, someone who attacks you, someone who does everything they can to wreck your reputation, listen, if you hold that anger in your heart and you get anywhere close to that word hate, then guess what they've done? That person now has taken control of who you are. They're defining who you are. You have allowed them that much control over your heart and your life. What I had to learn and what I want to share with you, so hopefully you don't have to learn it firsthand, is you can take control back. And you can say to that person who hurt you, you no longer have control over me because I'm not, har- I'm not holding on to any more anger or hatred toward you. You're, you are not in a position where you have that authority in my life anymore. And you can be set free. Set free by love. Love is that voluntary, sacrificial commitment to the well-being of another that says, I'm going to start caring about my neighbor. And when I start caring about my neighbor, I no longer have a heart that's turned inward. I no longer have a heart that can harbor that kind of anger. And so in verse 18, he carries through that idea, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, love isn't easy. It's messy. And that's why the first time we hear this command, it is in this context of verse 8. We usually only look at the last the last half of 18. We usually jump to 18b, but it's in a context. And he says, not to take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when our nature wants to be angry, to bear that grudge, we learn to forgive so that we can love our neighbor. Why would we go to all that trouble? Why would we do that? Well, that is summed up for us in the last few words of that verse. We've heard it four times already in this paragraph that we read, and we hear it again as it concludes verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And it is in that statement that we learn why we would go through all of this because he is Yahweh. He is the Lord. And because he is the Lord, we first want to obey him. We love our neighbor because we're commanded to do so. But second, as we realize, as we remember, he is the Lord, we, we love because it runs in the family. The Bible tells us that God is love. And as his children, we love too. He is the Lord. That's why we love, because it's a matter of obedience. He told us to. And because it runs in the family, God is love and his children will love. And then thirdly, because he loved us. 
we love because he is the Lord. And as the Lord, he loved us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. In this is love. You see, here's the definition. This is where you find it. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we love because he is the Lord and he told us to. We love because he is the Lord and it runs in the family. We love because he is the Lord and he loved us with that voluntary, sacrificial commitment to us, so sacrificial that he gave his only son. Loving is not always easy. Sometimes it's messy. But it is always worth it.